For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as the glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command of the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on this earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction from, that comes from the Lord. Well, thank you to the Claussen family for leading us in our scripture reading of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 through, 22 through chapter 6, verse 4. Our focus this morning is this passage of scripture. And uh, just so you know, the sermon notes, if you want to have more detailed notes to keep, are available uh, on our website. And actually, I think you can find them really easy through the live stream. And uh, also, if you want to stick around for the sermon discussion time after, you can do that at kgfchurch.com forward slash the hub. That will be right after. Um, yeah, this is an interesting passage of scripture. And I'm looking forward to us diving into it together. In 1867, sorry, 1876, mix the numbers around. I was thinking Canada instead of Italy. In 1876, the Italian painter Giovanni Muzioli produced a masterpiece that was called Papea brings the head of Octavia to Nero. Ugh. It's the depiction of a notorious moment in Roman history, and that is not it that you see behind me here. The Emperor Nero was, one of the, was actually the youngest and the last ruler of the Julio-Claudian dynasty that began with Caesar Augustus and ended in 68 AD when Nero died a hated man at the age of 30. He was very young. Nero had issues. He killed his own mother in 59 AD. He married his stepsister, Claudia Octavia. But when she couldn't produce an heir, he grew bored of her, tried to strangle her more than once, if you can believe it, had numerous affairs, both hetero and homosexual, one of which famously resulted in Papea Sabina becoming pregnant. Now, he's excited for parenthood, Nero was, and so the two of them, Nero and Papea, had Octavia, Nero's wife, banished 
a move that was protested widely by the Roman population who loved the empress. Tone deaf, Nero signed Octavia's death warrant. And as she was bound, her veins were ripped open, her head was cut off and sent to Poppea. And that moment where the new empress approaches Nero with the head of the old empress is what Muzioli painted 1,800 years later. And all these events happened in 62 AD, the same year Paul wrote Ephesians from his imprisonment in Rome. Why am I traumatizing you like this? Great question. Marriage and family in the Roman Empire was not what you might think. Marriage was something very different and understood, and we need to understand this in the background of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, if we're not, not only to understand it, but live the revolutionary Christ-centered home for such a time as this. Uh, historian Joshua Mark writes this, the central purpose of the Roman home was the, uh, of the Roman marriage was to produce and raise children who would become responsible and productive members of society. That doesn't sound all bad, does it? But to put it simply, a Roman home produced kids to serve Rome. Caesar Augustus, the greatest of the Roman emperors, had established deeply this principle within the state during his reign that ended in 14 AD when Jesus was a teenager. Augustus demanded the Rome-centered home. Now, if you remember back many months ago when we talked about the 12 tables of Roman law, the 12 tables guided Roman society for hundreds of years. Table 11 guided marriage and it ensured that the ruling class would not marry common folk and it encoded wives as property. Table, table 11 lumped marital guidelines with laws about your calendar keeping and legal days for doing business. Marriage was equated with business. Wives were property. There were no great ceremonies for weddings for the most part. If a woman lived with a man for a year or more without three consecutive nights apart as a couple, they were considered hitched. Marriage was in many ways a bit of a shrug. Augustus, he shifted this. He made marriage more free in regards to who could marry whom. And he emphasized that Roman marriages should produce Roman offspring. Marriage was more than business, it was civic duty. And that shaped the world of Ephesians. Girls could be married after age 12. How many girls out there, 12 years old or a little bit older? You'd be lined up for marriage right now. Boys after age 15 could get married, though most of them didn't marry till later in their 20s. And so the girls were married off much younger and married off is not understating it. Now, again, if you remember something else I talked about a few months ago, the pater familias, this Latin term. In the Roman world, the firstborn male held the power. And when he became a father, he had absolute power over his household, including who his daughter could marry. 
And so even after marriage, the daughter, pay attention to this, the daughter remained under the direction of her father, not her husband, until the father died. A Roman girl was married off young to produce Roman young. But even the joy of childbearing for the empire was not really in her control because a child born had to be presented to the father at birth. And he would either pick up the child and welcome them into the pater familias, or he would turn his back, literally, reject the child, and the child would be put out on the street to die or to be raised as a slave. And so childhood was no breeze in Rome either. Until you were officially an adult at the age of 17, you were really considered quite expendable. The Rome-centered home wasn't easy if you were a woman or a child, but that wasn't, it wasn't necessarily easy for the man either. Because if you were the husband, you had to please the father-in-law. Your wife was still under his authority. And so you were focused on producing your own line of heirs more than on her as a person. Your social identity and standing depended on it. There was no real choice in marriage. The social pressures to be a home for the glory of Rome was immense. And this was the world that the Ephesians knew and assumed, the Rome-centered home. Now, hopefully, all this begins to shake some of the assumptions we have about what Paul is writing about in regards to the Christ-centered home in Ephesians chapter 5, this scripture that the Colossians read for us. The trajectory of Paul's letter leads us home. Believers have been adopted into a family and elevated to a status in Christ that is above Caesar. That was incredible. Christians are saved by grace, rescued from a way of life without hope and without God in the world. And they have a full inheritance. Do you remember that back in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2? The church is God's new household, a household like never before, a, a revolutionary new reality on the, on the planet, the ecclesia, the never before considered family of God, the body of Christ in the world, led by Christ, empowered by the Spirit. This is what Christians have come into, and it's what you can come into still. Maturing into this new reality in the city of change is an intense paradigm shift. A saintly shift needs to happen. For people in the first century Ephesus and for us, it's a shift in what you believe, it's a shift in seeing where you belong, and it's a shift in how you behave. Believe, belong, and behave. And we are learning to walk like our Heavenly Father now, a new pater familias is what we're learning. If you look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we're learning to imitate our Father. And this is an entire, this produces an entirely new morality, a new creation that we live in. And it is inevitable that this will impact the place we all start from, home. When I was serving with our denomination's global mission agency, uh, we had a fascinating request from a family of churches in Panama. They, they lived in the jungle with ancient animistic traditions around marriage and family. Uh, so if a young man wanted a young woman, he had to pass a test. 
And the houses that they lived in were on tall stilts and marshy lands uh, of the eastern Panamanian Delta. There were no roads, only rivers. And a young man with his eye on a damsel had to sneak into the house that was on stilts while the family slept. And these weren't very big homes. And he needed to find that young woman in the dark and he needed to sleep with her undetected. And only after that could he prove himself to be a worthy husband. After all, if he could sneak into the house on stilts and get away with that, he must be a good hunter. And now these wonderful people were now following Jesus and their request was this. We're trying to understand what it means to build a Christ-centered home. So could the global church send families who have a longer history of forming a home with Jesus at the center to live with them and model what they were still trying to figure out. And that's actually a picture of one of the Colombians who went to live with them to start living and modeling this. And there were Canadians and Americans as well. The, the global church actually responded to this request. And so this is essentially what Paul is writing about here in Ephesians chapter 5. Christians were coming into the way of Jesus and they're trying to figure out how to build a Christ-centered home when all they knew was the Rome-centered home. For centuries now in Western society, we have experienced both the strengths and the weaknesses of the application of this passage of Scripture. And often the strengths have been underappreciated because of the human failure in applying it. The problem I hope that you see today is not with the teaching, it's in us. And now, as the culture values that we're a part of shift, we're in another grand experiment of redefining the home, struggling to know what home is centered on, and we need someone to help us. So listen, the value placed on a home will reflect the dominant cultural values. It will reveal your primary cultural values. In Ephesus, it was the Rome-centered home. But a Lord or a Caesar will demand the center of your home and mine. If you are Christian, do your values reflect the leadership of Jesus or today's Rome? That's a crucial question. Is your home sourced in the Lord who designed it from the beginning? Is your home revolutionary? Or is it reactionary? Or worse, is it built on sand? The Rome-centered home dominated Ephesian understanding. But Paul is elevating the Christ-centered home as central to the maturing ecclesia. Because a home is where everyone starts life from. So let's unpack what Paul's saying here. If you have your scriptures, open them up. Ephesians chapter 5, again, uh, following up on what the Colossians read for us. So first of all, Paul is going to speak to wives, verses 22 through 24. And it begins by saying, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now these have been divisive and despised words in our current cultural understanding of way of reading them, even in the church sometimes. But remember, this is all tied to the new ethic, the new morality of those who are leaving the old life for the new life that is becoming like God, back in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 
So Christians submit. Christians put themselves under rank of one another. That's what verse 21 said. Mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And now Paul says, wives, you submit. Voluntary, mutual, spirit-led submission, you see, is not subservience. It is not to become a doormat. It is Christ-like. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. To come into the kingdom of God through faith requires voluntary submission to the lordship of Jesus. And so in a Christ-centered home, a woman submits to her husband, what are the next words? As to the Lord. And this is a shorthand for this very simple truth. She lives as a Christian. The God-imitating discipleship principle of submission is now applied to marriage. The wife voluntarily comes under her husband, not because of him, but because of Christ. This is discipleship for her. It's not law. It's joyful life as a child of God. Now, to understand that, you have to remember Roman marriage, right? The Rome-centered home is the only paradigm for marriage that the Ephesians would have known. In Roman marriage, the wife was never free to be submissive to her husband. She was always under the authority of her father. The husband alone was beginning or continuing a new line in the, and the wife was chattel. She was chattel toward that, both from her father on the one hand and her husband on the other. She was living in one... Listen, think about this. She was living in one home that she had little power over, including whether her own children would live or die. And she was under the authority of a home she no longer lived in because her own father still had authority over her life. And that, that vision for marriage was never a Jewish or Christian vision of marriage. Paul radically shifts something. He moves the wife's submission to her husband. He pushes, this is radical, he pushes the Roman state, he pushes Caesar aside, he pushes them out of the way, and he reorients marriage from a biblical perspective where a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one, which we read way back in Genesis chapter 2. He recovers the Genesis vision of a beautiful partnership a leaving of what was for the maturity and the responsibility of a cooperative partnership with God. And so Paul is redefining lordship and woman is not a bystander. She is equal in this. She has submitted her life to the lordship of Christ. And now in the home, it is not her dad, but it is her husband that she now turns her work of submission to as a witness of her new identity and position with Christ in the heavenly places. She is leaving Rome and reinstating Eden. She isn't, this is not domineering language, it is liberation. The Christian wife is a new reality because of Christ. She is a citizen of heaven, a child of God, free and called to shape her own home as to the Lord. 
in submitting to her husband, she is starting a revolution against Rome. In Christ-centered marriage, it is Jesus, not the state, that is central. What? What? It is Jesus, not the state, that is central. In Christ-centered marriage, it is the unique union of a man and woman who leave father and mother and serve God as ecclesia that becomes central. Just as Christ, then, is the head of the church, not Caesar, so the husband is now the head of the wife, not the Roman father. For marriage is a unique picture of the relationship between God and his people. And this is revolutionary new description of what the home is. Christian marriage is a holy foundation where submission to Jesus Christ as Lord is practiced. And so wives who were always raised to submit to their fathers are, in, are the first in leading the way into this new Christ-centered reality. The wife, you see, has a very hard counter-cultural task of shifting rank to live out. And she is elevated and freed by the gospel in the process. She is more than a baby machine for the state or family glory for Rome who could be discarded and in the case of Octavia, even beheaded. She is woman, equal in the image of God and redeemed. She is forming the revolutionary outpost of the new humanity, a Christ-centered home, a window into the original intent of God for human flourishing. And an, an Ephesian person completely shifted their entire worldview and their center of gravity when the gospel came alive in them. Everything shifted and so must and would the home to become ecclesia itself. A Christian wife, you see, does not go to church. She is the church. Wives, you are still called to this shifting of rank, to be so centered in Jesus, so aware that the church's task is to submit to every, in every way to the lordship of Jesus, that you joyfully and freely model and practice this with your husband. And this was a gulp, oh my goodness, moment for a young woman in Rome who had become a Christian. And that's a big enough challenge if her father and her husband were Christians too, because there was only about a 10-year history of being Christian in Ephesus by the time this was written. But it was an even bigger gulp if both father and husband were not Christian. Then what? Being a Christian wife was one of the most mature and courageous things you could choose to be in Rome. And it takes courage today too. So let me say something radical that is easily misunderstood. <laughs> so I say it carefully. If you are a Christian wife, you should come under rank of your husband as if he was Jesus himself. Whoa. Yes, listen. If, if he is a believer, he's a son of God. He is your brother in Christ. He is a child of God. He is an heir with Christ, just like you. And he is trying to figure out Christ's likeness too. And you are building the revolutionary reality of the ecclesia with him. Your call as a wife is to lead a gospeling and fellowshipping movement. 
When you submit to your husband, you are embodying the church, the ecclesia. You are the body of Christ. You are breaking free from the old, stepping into the new, not just a new home, but the new humanity, the new creation. To resist this is to keep building the Rome-centered home. It's a high call, my sisters. Now Paul talks to husbands, beginning in verse 25. The ladies get three verses. The, guy, the, the guys get eight. So there must be something really critical that Paul's trying to say here. Paul speaks to husbands. Verse 25 begins, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, think about how a Roman bloke would have heard this. The husband, Paul says, is to agape his wife. This is the love of God, agape love. We are to walk in love as Christ loved us. That was chapter 5, verse 2. We're to walk in, Christ, walk in the ways of our Heavenly Father as Christ loved us. This is the love that dies. This is the love that puts the other person first. This is the love that caused the Son to give himself up for sinners, to lay down his rights, his own desires for another way, the way of heaven, even if that dying to self, listen, even if that dying to self is never reciprocated, received, or respected, Jesus gave himself up for people who will never turn to him. In Rome, the husband had a wife who was under his father, her father's authority. And she was merely property to produce children. She was a means to the glory of Rome. That doesn't mean, actually, that there weren't genuine concern in Roman homes for one another, or there were just emotionalist gong shows. I'm not saying that. Caesar Augustus had actually outlawed adultery so that many more babies could be born into Rome-centered homes. But a woman in Rome was always a means to Rome's glory. It wasn't what a home was that was noteworthy. It was what a home produced. Now in Christ, says Paul, because of Christ, because Jesus is Lord, a husband is to love his wife. He didn't choose her. This is crucial to understand. In Roman society, you didn't choose your wife. She was chosen for you. He didn't choose her. Marriages were arranged for social purposes. She might constantly be crying to daddy. Marriages were, and sometimes are still, politically complicated, right? But the Christian husband was to love her in the same way Jesus loved the ecclesia. He dies to himself and he embraces her by grace. She isn't asked to earn anything. His love embodies grace and invitation. He makes her new. Verse 27 says he's Jesus is constantly bringing his bride to maturity and holiness, splendor and spotlessness. Jesus loves the church. It is his body. Jesus loves us. It would be ridiculous for him not to love his church. You can't divorce Jesus from his church because we are his body. Paul has gone to great pains to explain that in the first few parts of Ephesians of this letter. And so for a Christian husband, listen, his wife is himself, which is why divorce is so lamentable to the heart of God and so painful when we experience it. When he loves his wife, a Christian husband is fulfilling the great commandment to love the Lord with all we are and love our neighbor as 
ourself. And this is not a love in three different levels. It is one holy, agape, selfless love. It is precisely the love of God. God loves us with all he is. And he loves his neighbor and even his enemy as he loves himself. In the same way, husbands, love your wives. Don't just give her a home. Build a Christ-centered home in partnership with her that is ecclesia. That is the church in living color. For Jesus, you see, guys, guys, for Jesus, the church is everything. A Christian husband loves his wife with this vision. This is his act of mutual submission. She, not Rome, is everything. A Christ-centered home is the revolutionary outpost of the kingdom of heaven. And this is radically seen when a husband loves his wife, leaves his father and mother, and holds fast to his wife, and they become the grand mystery together of what God seeks to do for all people, which is actually not to bring them into marriage, because singleness is an equally high call. Paul himself was single. But God's desire is to bring everybody into the mystery of ecclesia, and a Christian home is both a foundation and an invitation to the world to come home to the Father in heaven, regardless of race or language or past or marital status. Husbands, love your wives. This is your work, guys. Die to yourself. It's the same principle the wives are called to. Die to yourself. Love her like the church has been loved by Jesus. If you're not willing to die, it's time to grow up. I mean that. The cultural pull on man to look after himself, to even avoid or downplay the importance of the holy grand vision that God has for marriage, to prioritize his stuff, his wants, his life that he loves, to demand his way. If Jesus cared for his church the way many of us men seem to care about our marriages or our wives, we'd all be in trouble. In Christ, this ends and loving her as Christ loved the church emerges. Wife and husband abandon the Rome-centered home, the darkness and the fog, and they mutually come under the rank of each other because of Christ. They are revolutionary ecclesia. And then Paul summarizes it. He speaks to both husbands and wives in verse 33. Take a look what he says in verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He summarizes it. Those are words of revolution. What's your step, woman, man? What's your step toward a revolution in your home today? A few years ago, I had an addiction. I was channel surfing sports on TV all the time. I controlled the remote. I got the say. It sounds so silly now, very immature. <laughs> and one Christmas, Jen and I, with very little money to spend on each other, decided to gift one another something that wouldn't cost money. And I felt the Lord asking me to die. This was a painful death. He's like, I want you to give her the remote. <laughs> Such a small thing, but I wrestled with it and I argued with God about it. Like, come on. Like, I lost. And on Christmas, I boxed up the remote and I gave it to her for one year. Yeah, 
for one year. And you know what? I never regretted it. And some of us are still building Rome-centered homes because we refuse the revolutionary invitation. What is the call of revolution for you? It might be big, it might be small. Submit, love, respect, be ecclesia, build together, not the cause-centered home, but the Christ-centered home for the glory of God. Now we turn into chapter six, two more points. One is first, Paul speaking to kids. Kids, you're not exempt from this conversation. Because in the Christ-centered home, children have their own revolutionary responsibility, a call to submission as well. Today's culture has bent parents in submission to their children, and this robs the world of maturity. It's not right. It's a turning of the world wrong side up. It is here with children that Paul now brings in the Jewish ethic. He quotes one of the Old Testament laws that leads to the imitation of the father. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he connects it to the one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and it's connected to a promise. Jesus himself, by the way, kids, Jesus himself learned obedience. He submitted to his heavenly Father, and he submitted as well to his earthly parents. You can read about that in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. God asks kids to do what he himself will practice to come under parents. And Paul uses the Hebrew commandment on purpose because honoring parents comes with God's promise that it will go well with you and you'll be part of starting a new revolution in the land. Kids, obedience to parents is an act of trust that God will keep his promises, that he can open up a world that only humility can open. So when your parents are asking you to do something and you want to reject it, think about living into the promises of God that come through learning, submission, and humility. Obedience in the Lord to parents moves you into the promises of God. It's a revolutionary call away from the Rome-centered home. Now, Paul is clear. This is also really fascinating that Paul is clear to say that you obey parents. Mom and dad are lumped into the Hebrew way as equals. In the Rome-centered home, the father held sway over life and death of his children. He could turn his back on you when you were born and you could be discarded. He could marry you, daughter, to whoever he wanted. He was pater. But now, in Christ, in the Christ-centered home, where wife and husband submit to one another in the Lord, mom and dad stand as equals before the children. And so children, obey your parents, for this is right. And we are to walk, as Paul said in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5, we're to walk as children of light, all of us. And so children, don't rebel. Start a revolution. Kids, you have the same job as your parents. You practice submission and a trust in God's practices, in in God's promises. They, your parents, are practicing this with one another and you practice it under them. 
Your revolutionary activity is not against your parents, but against the lies and the darkness that seek to destroy your life. You are called by Jesus to also build the Christ-centered home, for you can build the future on the promises of God. And you're going to be challenged by this, kids. We all are when we're little. And you're going to learn, need to learn to submit. But this will mature you and grow you and make your life shine. And then finally, in verse 4, Paul speaks to fathers. Fathers, don't exasperate your children or provoke them to anger, as it says in another translation. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Again, it's easy for us actually to misread this because after all, it seems this is all about dads doing the real work. But actually, it's a wake-up call. Do you remember the Rome-centered home? We've been talking about this a lot this morning, right? Father held sway. He was governor. In many ways, the father was detached from day-to-day -day home life. He was, uh, as the historians point out, he, he was involved in other stuff and mom maintained home. And mom maintained pagan spiritual instruction about household spirits and gods. That all fell to her. So what is Paul saying here? Fathers, step away from your kingdom building. Your first call is not Rome, but the establishment of a Christ-centered home. Your call is not prov provocation or to push your kids' buttons or to squash them into the image of Rome or to demand the lordship of Caesar. Your call, fathers, is to join your wife in the Christ-centered mutual instruction of your home. Fathers, step up. A young woman in Rome, you see, <coughs> excuse me, a young woman in Rome was always trained to lead spiritual instruction. This would eventually be her, her task. The moms always did this and would have grasped their need to keep doing this when they accepted the gospel and turned to Christ. The moms, you see, were on this. It's the dads that needed to be called out. Fathers, step up. You are no longer building the glory of Rome, but you have a first call to mutually submit with your wife under the lordship of Jesus and build a Christ-centered home. Be a partner there. Be a leader there. It's fascinating that Paul points out how a father's actions can provoke their kids to anger, frustration, throwing up their hands, squelching the fire of their soul. Notice something. It's not the dad's anger that Paul is pointing out. It's, that the ang it's the anger of the children that dad stirs by his demands, gracelessness, and Rome-centeredness. Jen and I watched a series on Netflix called Space Force. It's a Steve Carell production. Uh, the series follows a U.S. Space Force general who is trapped in the big world of getting boots on the moon. And he has a wife who's in prison and a teenage daughter who's stuck in the middle of it all. And the general and his wife make a pact to have an open marriage since she's in prison and he's on his own. And when the daughter finds out, she's livid. She's provoked to anger and despair. She oozes the deep agony of being left alone in the world. The people that she thought could instruct her 
were simply busy building Rome and their own desires, and she is left without hope in the world. It's a profound sadness that leaks through the screen of this sitcom, a world where parents build Rome, focus on career and sex, and the kids cry out for instruction, for direction, for discipline, for a way out of Rome. And instead of this, Paul is saying, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And this implies, by the way, parents and dads, that we are teaching what we're learning. You are called as a saint to maturity. Invite your kids on that journey too. Children are a gift from God. Now lead them to God. They may or may not accept that invitation, but your job is to paint in living color the distinction between the Rome-centered and the Christ-centered way of life. So notice, as we summarize all this, to wives, what is it? Submit as to the Lord. To husbands, love as Christ loved. To children, obey in the Lord. To fathers, bring them up in the Lord. The Christ-centered life builds the Christ-centered home. An ecclesia for Rome to see and contend with. Let me end with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is a great centering quote. And then we're going to move towards celebrating the Lord's table together in our households. Let me just read this to you. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Most people have forgotten nowadays what a home can mean, though some of us have come to realize it as never before. It is a kingdom of its own in the midst of the world, a stronghold amid life's storms and stresses, a refuge, even a sanctuary. It is not founded on the shifting stands, sands of outdoor, outward or public life, but it has its peace in God, for it is God who gives it, gives it its special meaning and value, its own nature and privilege, its own destiny and dignity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote this in the days of Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany.